Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Ron Young. I'm one of the ruling elders here at Jacobswell. Um, and so from time to time, when no one else wants to preach, it's... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. There, Presbytery was yesterday, and I had, a, I think, a choice. I could have been at an all-day meeting yesterday, or I could preach today. I, I thought I'd preach today. It would be... It was great. So... Anyway, we've been... Uh, we started a section uh, last Sunday on honor. Uh, Dan... Pastor Dan talked about um, honoring older folks as fathers and mothers in the faith, honoring uh, other aged people as brothers and sisters in Christ, honoring uh, widows, and uh, today that's going to continue um, with honoring elders. Uh, we, have a, we have kind of a crisis in our culture, and it revolves around honor. Uh, there's this um, double-edged thing or a, a, a circular problem, and that is human beings made in the image of God long to honor and to be honored. And I know I say this as a, a blank statement, but just think, think of movies and books that have really captured your heart. Are they not often about honor? Aren't they about places and times where honor was a, a big thing. I teach 8th grade U.S. history, and um, there's a, a portion, when we're looking at the, uh, the Declaration of Independence and the beginning of the uh, War for Independence, we see at the very end of that declaration where the signers of the declaration write, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Of those things, the thing they saw as most important was pledging their sacred honor. Imagine if today a politician said something like that. Right? You're, we're laughing. Why are we laughing? It would sound like a joke. Where We understand that honorable people are developed in honoring cultures. So honoring cultures are going to produce honorable people, and yet we think that we're not going to honor unless there are honorable people. Where is it going to come from? Ladies and gentlemen, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ told us that we, the church, are the salt of the world. We are the ones who are to preserve the goodness of what God had made including recognizing that each of us is made in his image and worthy of honor. And amongst us, there are people that receive uh, a higher degree of respect 
because of the positions that they're placed in. Paul has to remind the church, give honor to those who uh, it's required, to those who ought to be honored. I bring this up because Paul has to remind people, you know why? Honoring people is hard. It's something that we have to work at. If uh, we raised our children and just let them do whatever they wanted, they would not grow up honoring people and becoming honorable. We have to work at it. We have to train ourselves. We have to catch ourselves. I do it all the time. When I watch the news and there's politics going on, it's so easy for me to use my words to disrespect the President of the United States. Where's it going to be learned unless we're doing it? Where are we going to do Where is it going to be? Uh, where is that culture going to um, affect the greater culture if the church isn't a church that is honoring? And through that, we, we, we build honorable people. Today's passage is um, chapter 5, 1 Timothy, verses 17 through 25. So let me read the passage, and then um, we'll pray, and I'll continue with the sermon regarding elders. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they, the rest may stand in fear." In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on the hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, that is, apparent, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us, a constant reminder of our duty Lord, as your image bearers and as people who have faith in the most honorable one, your son Jesus, that we are to be honoring people. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would open up our hearts and our minds to your word today and that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul's instructing Timothy regarding the church, as we talked about our whole series, The Blueprint for the Church. Previously, um, 
Paul had talked to Timothy about the offices of elder, the office of deacon. Um, and he says then now is that we are to uh, give double honor to the elders who rule well. They should be considered worthy of double honor. So what does that mean exactly? Well, the, the biggest... Um, the biggest thought in there is that they deserve our respect. Right? This, this is why we have a very informal church. Um, and, and within our church, we're, we usually talk to each other, first names and, and things like that. But, but one of the things that we, we typically do is when Pastor Dan's around, we, we call him Pastor. Pastor Dan. He's not just Dan. He's not just some guy. Pastor Dan, Pastor Spencer, Pastor David, or we could call him the Right Reverend Jackson. Maybe not. But the, but the title is some is a is a way in which we are showing honor to his office. We teach our children to do the same. We just they're just not some guy, right? The the elders are people who God has given charge over His flock uh, to rule wisely, to shepherd. To, to guide, to, sh to feed, to, to encourage them to live lives worthy of the calling that Christ has given you. And so the men who God has called to do that deserve honor, double honor. Honoring would also mean to obey. That's a hard one. But when the elders gather together and decisions are made about things um, in the Spirit of the Lord, the guiding principle being His Word, the expectation is that those things would be honored. This doesn't mean that we're, we can't be in error. Um, in fact, we're all individually human beings that do, we err in thought, word, and deed daily. We need to be called to repentance too, and we're going to get to that in a little bit when, when we talk about judging elders. Even collectively, as we pray and we discern and we make judgments, um, we're not infallible. We're, we, we might be in error. And honor would then require people from our congregation then to talk to us about that error respectfully. And if things don't seem to be going the way that uh, it's supposed to in terms of uh, calling out a sin or a bad judgment that we have made, there's a process that we follow. You bring two or three witnesses, you come, you, we're, you're still not, no problem, you, you go to the presbytery, hand it over to them to do it. In other words, honoring elders doesn't mean that your elders are perfect you honor them because of the calling and the office that they have. The biggest thing you can do, the greatest thing you can do, is to pray for your elders. Pray for your elders. He says here in uh, the second part, he says, especially, so elders are worth doubly, double honor, worthy of double honor, and then it says, especially. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So in the, 
In the PCA, we, we have an understanding that there are two offices in the local church. There are elders and there are deacons. Right? Amongst the elders, I think we have a picture of, uh, perhaps, pictures of all the elders here. Yeah, there you go. We, we, this was up not too long ago. So it, in the PCA, we understand there, there is one office of elder, but there are two distinct classes of of elders. One are the teaching elders and one are the other is the ruling elders. And we get that because of things like this. It's understood here that not all the elders ruling in the church are teaching and preaching. So the teaching elders at our at Jacob's Well, we go back here, Pastor Dan, Pastor Spencer, and Pastor David. So they have they have more education, they they have masters of divinity that's like more than three years of, of uh, graduate school experience. Um, their internship, they have to be uh, go through ordination exams, which they're pretty easy, right? No. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, they're, they're tested. They, they have to have some, some serious recommendations, and, and, uh, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and so in, in our denomination... Those who are regularly called to preach and administer sacraments are the teaching elders. The rest of us, the ruling elders, that's us, Alex, Tim, Dan, Ron, Stephen, John, Ted, and Mark, there's no one in the middle to look around. <laughs> we need one more elder. Any? No, I'm just kidding. So as ruling elders, we are able to teach and can teach and preach on occasion, so that's, yeah, you're stuck with me today. Um, so I am preaching today. Um, we still have to go through uh, a training and theological examinations, um, things about our character, and, and, um, and, it's, a, and it's also a process. It's not, as, it's not as long and drawn out as a teaching elder, um, but our job primarily is, to, uh, is oversight of what's happening in the congregation um, and uh, the shepherding and discipline of the flock. Uh, every one of us uh, teaches uh, in uh, small groups and have other opportunities where we teach. Uh, often we're called to uh, counsel or to talk with people about problems that are going on. If there's issues of sin and ongoing sin, we're the ones that will often go along with a teaching elder or just two ruling elders or something to, to talk about it. It's a, it's a busy life. Now, the ruling elders at our church have a calling to this church um, but it's not, a, it's, not, um, it's not our job. That sounds weird. We, we all have uh, our own jobs. We, we work <laughs> elsewhere, and we get paid elsewhere. Um, but, but for the, those who labor in preaching and teaching, Paul says that they should be, um, this, it says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. In other words, according to Scripture, it is a good thing to pay your pastors. Right? So, amen. <laughs> so, Paul himself, Paul himself as an apostle was planting churches all over the place. And, and he typically worked uh, as a bivocational minister. He, he worked as a tent maker and he'd sell tents to make a living. And he would preach the gospel. And then once there was a church 
uh, there was enough people that he would appoint elders and then he'd move on. But the elders that he left behind, like Timothy, and Timothy is now appointing elders, um, there are some who are going to labor to preach and teach and administer the sacraments, and Paul is saying they should get paid for their labor. Paul's saying this because the, the, this is new, right? The, in the old covenant, in the old administration of the God's gracious covenant given at Mount Sinai, there was provision given for the Levites and for the priests in the temple. So now that that administration is done, and now that, and that God's people uh, are the church, what, what do you do? So what Paul did was he went back to the Old Testament, to the God's law, and pointed to the law of these, these two things. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain. In other words, when you have animals and they're using them in the farm, you, you need to treat them well. If they're laboring, they should be fed well. And if you have field workers, the law is saying that when they do their work, you can't withhold their wages. You need to pay them. In fact, in the Old Testament times, you, you got paid after your, every day. So you'd go, you'd work in the field, and when you're done, you'd come and you'd get paid right then and there. So Paul's saying, this is called, in the, in the Presbyterians, we call this general equity, right? There's, there's this law that's happening in the Old Testament, and even though we don't live in those times and those things are really, uh, seem foreign to us, there are principles um, in that law that we apply equitably to today's circumstance. In this case, Paul's showing us how to do this. If it's good for animals and for laborers in the field to get paid, why wouldn't we pay those who labor in the teaching and preaching of God's Word? Now, we already saw that um, when we're looking at elders, one of the things they can't be is greedy for gain. I will say that our three teaching elders are not here for greedy gain. I know that because they could probably make a lot more money somewhere else. I think that we do a good job in the, at Jacob's Well in paying our pastors. I'm, I'm not, they're not poor. The idea is that in the call that they receive to, to preach and, and to uh, labor in our church is that we're to provide so that they don't have to care about the worldly, their worldly um, needs. If the worldly needs are being taken care of, then their minds can focus on the task at hand. So we have, uh, amongst our session, we have, the, we have people who work finances. We, we, we grab Andrew um, Branham, you know, as part of the financial trinity. <laughs> and we work on the budget. We look at what's, you know, what's a, what's a fair wage. Um, considering the size of our church, uh, considering education, considering the you know the wages in our region and other pastors, and 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 that's and that's what we give. I I think you guys are taken care of. It doesn't mean that they're never going to have financial difficulties because just like all of us, that happens, right? But what we want to do is pay our pastors so that they can do the work of, that God has called them to here. And not have to worry about it. Right. Now, 
Are there pastors who make a ton of money? Yeah, don't go to that church. That's enough said, right? All right. So, elders are worth double honor. Pay pastors, good, good, good. Now, here's the thing. Once again, pastors and elders are not infallible. We're human beings. We struggle with sin just like you do. There are times when we fall into error. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. So there are going to be times in which people are going to have to uh, point out the sin of an elder or to a pastor. And so we look here at um, verses 19 through uh, 21. Let me read it. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. I want to point out something here. Have you ever seen anywhere else in Scripture an apostle or a writer say this? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels... I charge you. You ever see that before? What do you think this is saying? This is saying it's really, 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 really important that this is handled this way. He didn't say, I charge you before God. No, he added, I charge you before God and Christ Jesus. Wait, wait, that's not enough. I charge you for God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. I don't, I don't know where you'd go next. To keep these things. So first, if there's going to be a charge against an elder, it, it can't be admitted except on the evidence or two of three witnesses. And you might go, oh, what makes them so special? No, let me tell you. What it's saying is, is that charges against elders need to be afforded the exact same as everyone else. All right? Deuteronomy chapter where is it? Deuteronomy 19:15 I think. In the old covenant it says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Jesus then, when he talks up to his church, right, in, a, in this new covenant, he says, if someone has sinned, if there's been an offense, you are to go to the person, that's one, and bring that out, bring that charge against them, one-on-one. Mano y mano. And if there's no resolution, there's no repentance, then that person is to go and find two or three others and go then again. Now what might happen in that second meeting is this. The, the person who is the offender might see the error of his ways or her ways and repent. Or 
more talk is happening, and we realize that there's really been a misunderstanding and everything's fine. Or the other witnesses go, yeah, I don't think you're seeing this. To the accuser might say, I don't think you're seeing this right. And then resolution happens. Ta-da! Now, if the two or three witnesses with the accuser goes to the one who accuses and says, yeah, you need, this is wrong, and you need to repent of this. You need to, and they persist in their sin, then they go to the elders. Then they go to the elders. And then the elders adjudicate the decision. If an elder is the one sinning, ready? Here we go. It's the exact same thing. Why is this important? Why does, why does the Apostle Paul bring this up? Shouldn't everyone know that? Well, well guess what? Your elders, especially your, teach, your teaching elders, tend to be this special kind of person that Satan loves to attack. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is to go forth from... Hello? Yay, there we go. If the gospel is to go and, and um, be received from this place, it is necessary that the one who is preaching and teaching, the ones who are leading the congregation, are not filled with controversy and all sorts of rumors swirling around. It seems that the normal attack is to accuse, accuse, accuse. Typically what we see in our day is, is not the right procedure. What we see is, let's take it to social media, let's make accusations and gossip, let's do these, th and what that does is, even if the pastor is completely innocent, what's it doing? It's putting doubts in our minds. The, the church isn't going to go anywhere. Often, what seems to be the, the big attack today is this. Make accusations or of, of their sin, or even more common now is the accusation is that a pastor didn't handle something right. They didn't handle it right. And then you associate them with someone else who's got some sort of problem, and now, boom, you just do it over and over again. Guess what's going to happen? And in our litigious society, what we do as Christians is typically um, we hear the accusations, we go, oh no, this isn't going to be good for the church, let's remove them so we can move on. Expediency over what Paul is telling Timothy and charging him before God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels do these things. But evidently, that's hard. Now, here we go. We're in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I bet many of you have experienced churches that have handled things expeditiously rather than biblically. True? Because I can name a few churches. It's so important. It's so important that we do this. 
Let's look at... Um, I know I went off my script. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, I have the uh, um, Westminster Confession of, of Faith uh, uh, questions 87. Yeah, here we go. 76 through 78. Here is what we understand our commitment is. The, what is the ninth commandment? The question asks. The ninth commandment is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Okay? That's the moral law, ninth commandment. Now, question 77. What does the ninth commandment require? The ninth commandment requires us to tell the truth and to maintain and to promote it and our own and others' reputations, especially when testifying. Question 78. What does the ninth commandment forbid? The ninth commandment forbids anything that gets in the way of the truth or injures anyone's reputation. How do we do that? How well are we doing that? In, in other words, a nice juicy bit of you know, information comes our way. Might be on social media, might be from a friend. I don't know what's going on. I've just heard hearsay. My job, according to God and his commands, is, to, um, is not to injure anyone's reputation. I am not to spread that because I don't know. Because I don't know. I wish I, could, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've had someone talk to me about this horrible thing that happened in this church that they either heard about or they experienced. And then, afterwards, I talked to someone else who's been in that, and I realized, oh, it's Proverbs. Proverbs 18.17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. There was recently a high-profile person who was accused of not high, uh, handling a sexual assault case well. They fired him. It, it went recently to a civil court, uh, and we find out that um, the woman who was uh, um, basically brought up charges that a man had raped him, her in their seminary three times by gunpoint um, and was suing the president because uh, he didn't handle it right. We then find out, after he'd been fired and tarnished, that the first thing that the administration did was they called the police, and she refused to uh, press charges. And the case was thrown out. An accusation and tidbits of an email that got sent out went everywhere. It went viral. And the institution tossed aside the career of a man who served faithfully for many, many years. Three years later, oh, oops. The problem is, is that when, when elders handle things 
we, we try to do things well, we try to do things right, we want to insist on doing things biblically, and when things are over, we're not going to tell everyone everything that happened. You know why? Because we're trying to follow the Ninth Commandment. We might say, hey, this person has been disciplined and is now no longer welcome. That's excommunication. It might happen. Uh, it does happen. It's, it's rarely public. But if someone comes and starts asking us questions about it, we're not going to say. It's none of your business. What that does is it holds us open to being accused. It holds church leaders open to accusations. And our job is to simply act honorably and follow the Word of God. Now, some elders do err. And some might persist in their sin. And, and Paul goes on to say to Timothy, those who persist in sin must be rebuked. An elder who persists in sin must be rebuked publicly before them all. And there's a reason. The reason is, is that the rest may stand in fear. The rest of the elders will stand in fear, and I think the people will stand in fear, and the people, I think, will respect it. I personally have had one instance in which I had a friend, a very close friend, we worked together in Young Life, um, he, he went in and became the pastor of family life and youth. He was having some marital issues. He, he had, a, um, uh, he had a, a night where he was counseling with a woman, um, and he did it stupidly. He did it by himself in a bad place. They ended up having a one-night stand, and they immediately felt uh, horrid, horrible. They confessed to their spouses. They confessed to the church. The, uh, the elders um, met with them, and um, they, they said, man, we, gotta, we want you to come in front of the congregation and repent. And he did. And, um, and then he was kept on salary. Well, he and his wife went through some counseling and training, um, they maintained their membership at the church, and eventually he was restored, and then eventually uh, was called to a senior pastor somewhere else, and he's been ministering faithfully. I heard of another story recently at a, a church down in Oshkosh. I went to their service and used this as an illustration, where an elder had something similar had happened, and what they did was the rest of the elders um, said, you need to resign we want your resignation. They resigned it. They, they gave him a severance, and they just let him go. And then they told the congregation he left for personal reasons. Guess which of those two churches lasted? The, the church that was open and rebuked an elder, they didn't rebuke him because he was confessing, but he had the opportunity to do that publicly and to be loved and cared for and brought back into a role as an elder again after restoration. The other church fell apart because no one thought that that's why he left. They didn't deal with it publicly. And, and as elders, we kind of know what we're getting into. It's not easy, 
We've got to watch our lives. We've got to guard our lives. We have brothers who can kind of speak into those lives. We have checkups with one another. We want to make sure that we're not falling. And, of course, we know that we have you all praying for us. Please. Because if the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to continue to have its impact in this world, it is the church that needs to be the salt and light. It needs to be the demonstration of what it ought to be. Which doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to sin. It doesn't mean even your leaders aren't going to sin. It means that we're going to take it seriously and we're going to follow what God has told us so that there can be, and here's the really big key, so there can be reconciliation and restoration. This pastor who told the story about the, the, um, uh, the one church that failed, he told about another time uh, where, where it had succeeded. And, and he said, when the church handled it openly and did it, not everyone was happy because they're all second-guessing what they should have done. You guys were too gracious, or you guys were too harsh, you guys should have done this, you should have done that. But you know what everyone did? They stuck it out, and they stayed together because they respected what the elders did and knew that, as Paul continues, they weren't going to prejudge nor show partiality. We can't do that as elders. Timothy says you can't do this with any prejudging and do nothing from partiality. So the way that the elders might treat you in your sin, the same needs to be done to elders. There can't be partiality. There can't be prejudging. We can't hear an accusation and go, oh, they'd never do that. No. You know who I thought would never have an affair? The guy that did. As he put it, he said he never thought he would either. That's why he didn't follow all the rules that everyone would expect. We're fallible. And Satan's out there looking for us. So he says, in selecting of elders, verse 22, do not be hasty on laying on of hands. Don't, don't, that means ordaining. Timothy, when you're ordaining elders, don't be hasty. It's hard. Being an elder is hard. You're going to have satanic attacks. People are going to make accusations. There's going to be rumors. It's going to be, you have to have thick skin. If you, if you don't have thick skin, being a pastor and elder is not a, not a job for you. Like, I, I don't know pastor who's gone to me and says, man, I'm doing really great. I'm not discouraged in anything. Every pastor I know, even if they're in their greatest week, there's still things going on. There's still people who are not happy with them. It's just part of the job. So don't be hasty in laying on the hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, if you're hasty in laying on the hands of someone and they end up falling and sinning, you're, you're, you've kind of included yourself in that. Don't do that. Let me jump to 24 and 25. The sins of some, some are conspicuous. They're, they're open. They're apparent. Going on before uh, them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. In other words, if, if someone's coming to eldership and we all know their reputation, that they're jerks, well, that's easy. We're not going to ordain them as an elder. 
But for some people, their sins aren't, aren't apparent right away. You have to live with them for a while. They have to be part of the congregation. They have to, you know, and then you kind of know. You, now you know the person. But, and good deeds are the same. You might go, well, this, I don't know anything about this person. They tend to show up to a lot of these different things. They're good, you know, good works are more apparent. But then, even the ones that, um, and even those that are not apparent, they can't be hidden forever. In other words, take time and see, and you might go, oh man, I'm very mistaken about this person. They just work behind the scenes all the time and look at all the fruit in their life. It's just not apparent. So don't be hasty on laying on the hands. This, this is what God has commanded through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and it's what we need to do. If we are to be a church of honor, raising up honorable people, it starts with us. It starts with us. We honor our elders. We honor those around us as brothers and sisters, the elders as mothers and fathers in the faith, those around us as brothers and sisters. We honor the widow. We honor the elders. That's the kind of culture that will make honorable people that is going to be attractive to people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. For his sake and for ours, let's be honorable. Let's pray.